All right, hey, Vintage family, um, as we look into the scriptures, this is kind of new for us. We've never done an online gathering like this, and uh, obviously we're in a season, in a, in a set of circumstances in a time that is incredibly unique and unprecedented, and um, a friend of mine the other day said something that I thought was really important, and that was that um, we don't do church, we are the church, and so I really want to kind of restate that. This is just a chance for us as a family to gather around the scriptures and to gather um, together just to keep our life cycle, keep that, that breathing in, that breathing out that happens when, uh, when we gather together regularly. I want to dive into Colossians with you right now. Um, if you remember the two, the two goals of this study, firstly was just to study scriptures because they're a gift from heaven and, and we believe that, that the Lord will use those to shape in us his image. But, but more importantly than even that for me is the growing in Jesus, just to learn how to walk in the way that, that Jesus walked and learn how to be like him. So I wanna pick up in, in chapter two, verse 10. We're gonna to try to move all the way through chapter three, verse four. Um, and if it gets to a good stopping point, we may just shut it down and pick it back up in our next session. In chapter 2, verse 10, Paul will say this, writing to the Colossians, Jesus is the Lord over every ruler and authority in the universe. He is the Lord over every ruler and authority in the universe. The word Lord here is kurios, and it means supreme leader or or, or the, the boss. And I just want you to look at that phrase, every other ruler and authority. I think sometimes we forget this simple, simple truth. Jesus is the king over all of them. And I want us to grasp that reality that there are times when Jesus might lead by allowing us to go through a season that's really difficult. We're in one right now. But we need to remind ourselves, there's a, there's a song, um, a Brian Johnson song, Love Came Down, and I, there's a phrase in it that I love, and it just says, I remind myself of all that you've done. There's a, there's a reminding of ourselves at times, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what the world has going on, Jesus is still the king, he's still the boss, he's still in charge, he's the Lord over everything. And I think when we understand that, we live different. Because we begin to live in our authority because we know his authority. Can I just say simply, this coronavirus, this COVID-19 is not the authority in this time. And I know every time you turn on the news, um, every time you open up Google, every, every tweet, it's, right now it's about coronavirus. I understand the weight of that. But that's not the authority in our lives, Jesus is. I know finances are a concern. There's a, there's a, a sense of almost impending doom and panic in the financial realms. Um, some of you probably have you know, the Yahoo Finance app that's, that keeps kicking you all these updates and it seems like over and over and over again they just say the same thing. It's going down, it's going down, it's going down. I just want us to understand that finances aren't our authority. We don't live and move and have our being because of money. We live and move and have our being because of him. And I wanna challenge us to stand in that simple truth. He's Lord over everything. Paul will go on and say, when you came to Christ, he's talking about this first moment where we come into relationship, we come into faith, we come into maybe this awareness of I need a savior. 
When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. It was a spiritual procedure, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and and with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. It was not yet cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross of Christ. There's two ideas that jump out here for me when I'm looking at at this text. The first one is circumcision, and the second one is baptism. At the time that Paul's teaching this to the Colossians, circumcision was something that many of the believing Jews were telling these new believing Greeks that they had to do to be real believers. Whether they were 60 years old, whether they were 45 years old, whether they were eight years old, they were saying, if you really want to follow Jesus, you have to be circumcised. And so Paul steps in and cuts to the chase and says, wait, time out. You actually were circumcised, but it was not of your physical body. It was of your spiritual nature. Now, I want us to pay attention to how Paul says this happens. He says, you were circumcised because your sin nature was cut away. The phrase cut away here sounds like something that someone else does. But the root word is removal, and it actually means to lay aside. What does that teach us? Our circumcision comes from the Spirit of God giving us the power to and showing us what we need to lay aside and let go of in our lives. In other words, he gives us the power to choose his life instead of our death. Therefore, if we're waiting to mysteriously no longer want to do the wrong stuff, we misunderstand this incredible grace. The grace is this. We have the power to choose his way instead of our way. I think holiness is, needs to be understood in, in, our, in our time more than any time before. It's choosing to prioritize what Jesus says over what I desire. It's that simple. I can live in holiness by simply saying, I'm gonna make what Jesus says a priority instead of what I feel, think, want to do. Church, there is no special level of arriving where you wake up one day and you're like, ooh, I'm holy, I can do this. It's always going to be a choice. And maybe you could consider this, that one of the major gifts of the love of the Father is that we actually can choose this life. Second thing Paul talks about baptism is something the church historically has gone rounds with and argued over as an evidence or a necessity for salvation, and I think we just miss the point when we argue it that way. I think baptism matters because the scripture teaches us to do it. As with everything in the kingdom, I think our Father knows when we obey what he says, something supernatural happens, as it is with baptism. There's something supernatural and incredible that happens when we declare our lives publicly. I would say there's a fresh authority and a newness that comes into our life. And so maybe I want to invite us to view baptism this way. If you haven't been baptized or you feel like 
there might be a, a deep need in you for a fresh start, just get baptized. Don't worry about it. I was thinking about this as I was working on this teaching. I don't know about you, but I, I really miss our gatherings. One of my favorite things in life is our Sunday gatherings, when, when we're just worshiping and the room's full of people. I was thinking about baptisms, and, and we always have the horse trough over in the side, and, and during worship, while well, oh, there's just this beautiful sound going up to heaven, men and women are giving their lives to the Lord and getting baptized, and I started laughing. I realized how amazing it is when you realize how, what a beautiful gift you have when it's taken away. And right now, we're in a, a time and a season where we don't get to gather like we used to. And I don't know about you, I can't wait till we can. And maybe I could say, if there's any of you right now that are wondering about baptism, or maybe it's been on your mind, or you feel the Holy Spirit, even at this moment, saying, this would be a great thing for you to do, just to, to recommit your life. The first Sunday we get back together, the first, the first opportunity we have as a family to gather again, we'll have it ready to go. And you don't have to make any plans ahead of time. Just show up and say, I, I wanna obey the scriptures and do what they say. Paul goes on in, in verse 16 and says, so, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules were only a shadow of the real thing, Christ himself. So don't let anyone condemn you. The root here means to give someone else the power to choose or distinguish something and to make you feel condemned or guilty for it. The idea is not allowing another person's perspective or opinion on these things to move you into action. And he deals with multiple things. First one he deals with is food and drink. What you drink and what you eat. Let's talk about that in our culture. There are segments of the church that believe alcohol is wrong and sin. And they will absolutely look upon people that are believers who would partake in alcohol and say you're in sin and you're wrong. There are segments of the church that believe if you think alcohol is wrong, you're, you're old-aged or you're antiquated in your ideals and somehow you just haven't been, you haven't been rejuvenated correctly by the Holy Spirit. And this is the exact kind of thing Paul's talking about. Paul's saying, look, do not let someone else condemn you for their beliefs and put them upon you, but also neither should you condemn others by putting your beliefs on them. If anything in the scripture, I think that's a great rule. If we look at food and drink, we look at holy days, we look at cultural holidays, we look at Sabbath, all these things that Paul's talking about, we have a responsibility to discern the scriptures, do our best to understand what they say, sit with the Holy Spirit, lay it out in front of people that we trust, but at the end of it, if it's a gray area in scripture and it doesn't say it's sin, we need to hold it softly. Live fully into our conviction, but give grace for other people to live into theirs. And so Paul will list this food and drink and holy days and cultural holidays, and then this last one, Sabbath. I wanted to actually push pause and, and talk about that. The principle of Sabbath is one that comes from God. God himself will say to Israel, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. As to what the Sabbath is for us personally, I think that needs to be vetted with Jesus. I don't think we have the right to say the Sabbath is this day of the week. I know that there's, there's there's lots of arguments that would say we need to observe what it was for the Jewish people. I think if we, if we fixate on the day, we miss the point. 
There is something about it that I do want us to understand. In Exodus chapter 31, verses 15 through 17, there, there's, there's two words that come into this idea of Sabbath that are very important. It's the Lord saying this, that the Sabbath is to be perpetual forever. It's those two things that catch me, perpetual and forever. It is to be regularly and always observed. This is one of those things that did not stop at the cross. Because according to God, the Sabbath was to be a sign forever between him and his people. If we study the, the scriptures, the scriptures will talk about the fact that God was, was refreshed. That God himself required refreshing from labor. So he, he works for six and on the seventh day he was refreshed. That one's really hard for me to think of. A, a few weeks back, David Mitchell talked about learning to work from rest. I've listened to a lot of great teachings on Sabbath, but if, if I'm being incredibly honest, none of them have really taken much root in me. I think about the Sabbath a lot, and I ignore it a lot. And I've been deeply convicted in this last season of life that the reason I ignore it is because I'm honestly arrogant enough to believe I know better than the Lord. And we're in an unprecedented time right now. The world just kind of hit pause. I don't know if you've noticed how much life slowed down. What happens if we view this as a gift? Maybe some of you, like me, have really wrestled with honoring the Sabbath. I have um, always looked at, at hard work as something that I hold as a really high value. It defines me. I want to work hard, always. But I think there's an arrogance that can come into our lives when we're willing to work so hard that we're willing to push ourselves outside of the lens of what God has said is okay. When the Lord said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, the word holy here means set it apart, i.e., that day belongs to me. What if we take this crazy calm season that just happened? I know there's fear around the virus. I know it's in the news, but a lot of us are restricted from work. We can't gather in groups of more than 10 some of the busyness and, and we can't go out to eat, all the things that have made our life, all the, all the frenetic energy and the, and the pace that has defined our lives has all of a sudden been pushed down to almost nothing. What if we see that as a blessing? And in that moment we say, you know, I actually have no excuse to not learn the gift of Sabbath. And what if we just choose to be thankful and we start observing it? So Paul will wrap up 16 and 17 with an incredible statement. He said, look, all the religious system was just a shadow of what was to come. The real thing is Jesus. And what I love about this is Paul doesn't nullify the need to observe all these religious ways. He just says, look, all of that observation is never going to replace an encounter with Jesus. Jesus is the end goal. And those external evidence of devotion, those are not bad. I think those are awesome. But they're never the goal. 
The goal is Jesus as our priority. He's to be our pursuit. He's to be our passion. Knowing him, honoring him, experiencing him. Paul puts all of that into focus and says, look, Jesus has to be the source and the goal. He goes on in verse 18, he says, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on self-denial. Don't let anyone say they've had visions about this. These people claim to be so humble, but their sinful minds have made them proud. They are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for we are joined together in his body by his strong sinews, and we grow only as we get our nourishment and strength from God. You've died with Christ, and he set you free from the evil powers of this world. So why don't you keep on why do you keep on following the rules such as don't handle, don't eat, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teaching about things that are gone as soon as we use them. I love this phrase. There's so much here that we could unpack. But I love the phrase that, that kind of gets hidden in this. Don't let anyone say they've had visions about this. And he's declaring that Jesus is the focus and any new information that is taught, that would cause us to believe we can actually make ourselves better by adding to what Jesus says is wrong. I think that's where the root of religion is in so many of us. That in our own insecurities, in our own brokenness, we just feel less than, and so we wanna add a system of external achievements because we just don't really trust I am who he says I am. And I've watched the church wrestle with this from two fronts. One is there, there's the side that says, Jesus is enough, but I just need to work harder to make myself better. And there's the other side that says, Jesus is enough, it's all on him. It's all grace and the cross. And I just wanna caution us with something. There's a balance to be held in this. Jesus is enough. His work on the cross was absolutely complete. You are fully saved because of that work. But he also taught us how to live and he gave us a way to live and he invited us to follow him. So I think Paul's statement is simple here. Follow Jesus and live like he said to live and you're gonna do great. And I wanna challenge us in the same thing. Each of us needs to come back to the place where there's a holy fear in our daily lives, our attitudes and our hearts. One where we're willing to constantly ask ourselves, hey, am I living as Jesus taught me to live? Not as somebody else told me, but am I living as Jesus taught me to live? If the answer is no, we repent. We move back into that way. I wanna push pause there, and we'll pick back up in our next session. Love you guys.